out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Or, 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 or. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to a victory Tuesday edition of the <laughs> Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagman here with RKJ, Ron how you feeling after a big win against Tampa? I know I'm still getting used to this uh, the schedule changeup. We're on Victory Tuesday now, but uh, it still it still feels it still feels good. Um, you know, it still feels good the day after the win, the big win on Sunday night, 41-31 over the Bucks. You know, uh, just just a just a big game, Stags. You know, we 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 needed a primetime game, a, a primetime win to really get this season you know underway. We've had a couple of them now, but. I don't know. This one really, you know, it, it, it felt like, all right, we're here. You know, this is the Chiefs we knew. Um, so it, it is nice to kind of have that game and, and, and kind of have some some good takeaways moving forward. So I'm, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling great. Well, let's get right to your takeaways. We've got some great questions from Twitter we'll get to right after this, um, primarily in the second half, because there is a lot to take away from this game. So first of all, Ron, what were some of your takeaways from this week's game against the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay? <laughs> oh gosh, Stags. You're going for the puns today, aren't you? Uh, it, it was it was a good it was it was a good one. Uh it's been made before. It's been made. No, man, it, it it's it's it, it was a good game. Um, you know, it was a, a really significant game, honestly. Um, you and me were talking about before the show, you know, we didn't really know what to think about it going into it. I mean, shoot, I'll, I'll I predicted the Buccaneers to win. I just thought their defense was that good. And from what we saw from the Chiefs offense these past couple weeks, I just thought you know, maybe this will take a little more time than we gave it credit for at first to get going um, from the offense. But I think my main takeaway here, Stags, and and it, it really did show to me when you, especially when you compare it to what we saw from the Colts game in Week Three, you see against the Bucks what an aggressive mindset from the coaching staff does. You know, what an aggressive game plan. You know, a, a locked in. You know, hey, we want to make a statement. We want to take it to a playoff team, a team that we think we could see in the Super Bowl later on. You see what happens when head coach Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, all those guys lock in and make a game plan. I just think that was, you know, we, we saw something against the Bucks that we didn't see against the Colts in terms of, of how they came out. And, and I think the players also bought in, right, obviously. I mean, the offensive line is the big story of the game. You know, flipping the switch from, you know, Clyde going for no rushing yards in a game, you know, 17 carries for 29 yards, I think, in total, uh, to all of a sudden go into, you know, however many it was, 180 rushing yards as a team. So, I just think you saw what it what happens when this team locks in, when this team focuses. You know, Clyde actually mentioned after the game that Andy Reid challenged the, the the offensive line and the running back group, and they obviously responded. So that was my main thing, Stags, is just that, you know, we need to understand, we need to remember as a fan, because I, I, I definitely fell for it after, you know, them not looking very good um, when week three, that this team is going to have these ebbs and flows. It's hard to come in with this mentality every week like they had against the Bucks. But when they do have it, man, they still can be this good. And so it's good to know, and it, and it does feel good, you know, for their, you know, going into the rest of the season as a Super Bowl contender. I think we can definitely say they can do it. It's funny and, and maybe even a little bit counterintuitive to say this team was aggressive because they ran the ball, right? And that's that's normally not the, the way you look at things, but they they heard a challenge 
and and they rose to it. And it's not just from Andy Reid, but there was uh, Shaq Barrett calling yes. out the the Chiefs' offensive line and saying, "Hey, they're they're no different than the one that they defeated in the Super Bowl and embarrassed in the Super Bowl." And they clearly heard that. Uh, you saw some social media after the fact that that sort of indicated that that was on the minds of those big guys up front. But the physicality was palpable. It was you could see throughout the game that the Chiefs were the more physical team, and right. that doesn't always happen. And and they showed that there's that there's nothing they can't do when they're balanced and when they're confident. Um, and that confidence in the offensive line. So I, I wrote about this in Winners and Losers this week on Arrowhead Pride was the offensive line as a unit was on the winners list because partially because you can look at Mahomes and you can tell he felt confident behind that line. Right. And the running backs, you know, were hitting the hole and they, and there were holes there to be hit and the whole unit just felt not only competent, but also confident. Right. So that yes. it felt like they could do what they wanted to do and they knew it. And, and that, that really, makes a difference and it starts with that line. Yeah, and, and and that's exactly the point is the coaches allowed them to do that, right? They weaponized them. They they made it part of the game plan to come out, you know, get downhill. We saw a lot more uh, variability in the run game. I, I mean, we definitely saw more different types, you know, whether it was the guard tackle counters, um, you know, using Kelsey more as a lead blocker or, or Noah Gray even, um, you know, and going What, what the about the uh, the option that, that Mahomes took right. going with? Like that was that was awesome. Uh that, and, and, and that's and that's to my point, right? Against the Colts, I think you just saw a lot of bland running, a lot of hey, we're just going to run our stuff. This is the difference when you see the coaching staff lock in, and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna set the tone with our run game. It starts with a game plan. You know, the offensive line can only do so much when you're not giving them the opportunity to run those pull sweeps with Orlando Brown going out, you know, in, in front of Isaiah Pacheco and bulldozing linebackers. I mean, I love seeing that, and, and that's where it starts with the coaching staff. You know, I, I think the the best thing about this game, not only that they showed that they're still a Super Bowl caliber team, that they can get up for a primetime game against a good opponent with a playoff feel, right? That this was a reminder, like you said, of who they are. But also we talked last week about perspectives on this season. Well, now we've got a decent sample size and we're starting to see who this team actually is, what the trend really is. Last week, it could have gone either way. That could have, that could have been a team coming off of a, a close win and a, and a terrible loss and, and only one decent victory. You know, the, the perspective looking at this team now after beating a, a, a contender in their house on prime time, now it's more like they're, they're a uh, special teams blunder or two away from being four and oh, right. And, and this is a team that is a contender that had a bad game against the Colts. So one of the most important things I think is that, this win made made the Colts game the outlier. It made that the anomaly and not the trend. It also made the Chargers game what it is, a, a, a tough division opponent and a yes. you know a hard fought win as opposed to some sign that this team is struggling, especially right. on offense. So I think now that we have the sample size, now that we're, you know, let's go back to Todd Haley's quarters concept. They're a quarter of the way through the season when it's 16 games. They're almost a quarter of the game the way through the <laughs> season now with it's 17. And they're three and one in the first quarter, which is exactly 
where you want to be um, moving forward. So now they, they start over with the next set of games and you've got the Raiders and the Bills uh, to lead off that, uh, that unit, but you're sitting in a lot better position um, than you would have been if this game went a different way. And now it really feels like this team and this trend is in the right direction and, and that our, again, the Colts game was the exception. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think you're on to something with perspective because, you know, we're sitting from a Chiefs fan perspective. You know, I think we've gotten spoiled a little bit, um, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously being this contender. Looking around the league right now, I mean, how many teams, you know, you think about the Bills, you know, think, looking like this unstoppable juggernaut. I mean, they've shown their own flaws, right? And, and I know they're a little banged up. And look at the rest of the division. I mean, this division was supposed to be the greatest, you know, thing since sliced bread. And now you, you have the Broncos not looking very good. And, and, and obviously, I think the Raiders, you know, they started 0-3. I think, you know, we can give them a little more credit. We'll talk about them a little later. But all that to say is, is the, the NFL is hard. And, and there's not many, you know, great teams this year. You know, even the undefeated Eagles, I think you can still see, you know, where some of their flaws could come in. But they're playing great right now. I think the Eagles are a really good team. So it's just, you know, I, I think, it, again, perspective. Like, if we just, you know, we're through that first quarter of the season, you compare us against any other resume in the NFL. I mean, you know, again, you, you mentioned they're, you know, that close to 4-0. I mean, they're, they have just as good as resume and have played just as well as anybody in the league right now. So we're still sitting pretty, and, and, and we still should be feeling good in Chiefs Kingdom. So it's, it's good perspective. Well, this was a fun week also for stats because, again, you, now you have a sample size, but also – there were a lot of really interesting stats that came out of this week's game and trends that we can see for the season just through some numbers. So we want, we want to feature the stats of the week, and there's not just going to be one this week, Ron. we got a handful. <laughs> right, I know. And, and I know the, the popular one going around has been the, uh, the rushing yardage of the Bucks. right, how they only had three net rushing yards allowed on six carries. Uh, it was the fewest attempts allowed in team history, but it was also tied for the fewest yards allowed in team history. The 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 game it tied with is from like the I think it was 1961. So pretty crazy there. But I also thought this was a pretty interesting one. It was the first time Tampa Bay has allowed 40 or more points in a game since November 2019. So it's not only you know the Chiefs took it to this you know number one scoring defense. Uh, you know they also uh, you know took it to them more than any other team has you know over since that that group has been together. And speaking of number one scoring defense is Stags, I, I want to I, I want you to bring up the stat that you sent in the DMs because I think that's a really cool stat and and it's something that I I I wish you know it should be blowing up a little more because it is pretty crazy. Yeah, we we talked about how we didn't know what to expect coming in this week because you had a Chiefs offense who had just struggled, and they were going to face the number one scoring defense or the number one defense in the league heading into that game, and so the assumption was that they were going to struggle again. But when you look at how Mahomes plays versus number one teams in the uh, in on defense in the NFL, well, first of all, Patrick Mahomes is six and one now versus the number one defense in the league, averaging thirty-one points a game, three hundred twenty-two yards passing, uh, fifteen to seven touchdowns and interceptions, passer rating ninety-four. That's courtesy of NFL on the Rich Eisen show that stat, but. Um, Apparently, number one defenses are are, um, are are not the kryptonite for for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and it just speaks to the point we were getting at at the beginning, right? Is that this this team, you know, it, they do get up for the big games like this. They do, you know, get their game plans, you know, the the best type of game plans. 
Um, and so it just speaks to that point. But I don't know, man. It also speaks to Mahomes getting locked in against those games because, you know, even when they're blowing them out, you know, even, you know, Andy, you know, he'll, he'll pull off the gas a little bit, but Mahomes doesn't, right? And so uh, I, I think, you know, number one scoring defense, he gets up for those games. And, and that's that, those stats do blow my mind because you're talking about, you know, going against the best defense, seven games, and, and you accumulate those kind of stats. I mean, that is. And for a quarterback who doesn't generally have a great defense on his own side, right? So, right. like, there's – there's been a lot of talk about Mahomes throughout his career having to overcome bad defenses on his team. And so to, to take on the number one defense, you know, as a quarterback and not necessarily be aided by your, your defense uh, is a, uh, is a feat. Now this week, I thought the chiefs defense played particularly well. And I, and I don't think even the, the final score reflects how, how good they played, how dominant they looked, uh, you know, against Tampa Bay. I mean, that stat that you threw out about running the the six um, team carries and three net rushing yards is is absolutely nuts because you make a team that one sided that right. one dimensional right and you're going to have a lot of success. The only reason that that Tampa team was able to put up 31 points is because Brady is a, a literal machine. Um, because anybody else, your pass rush is absolutely teeing off and and getting home against and, and is only really the the quick id and quick release of, of brady that allows him to to function in a game where they are not able to run the ball literally at all yeah no and and, and it you're the one dimensionality of it is so true and and you know i think spags took advantage of that a little bit um you know you saw it with you know once they got down an early hole you know spags tested out some early down blitzing with dbs and and this is where we'll get into legerious need stats um, because he had the strip sack, the big strip sack, and and you know there was other DB blitzes. You know Rashad Fenton almost had that sack that he missed. But Lejarius Need leads all NFL cornerbacks in sacks since entering the league in 2020. He has two more than anybody else in that span. So he's just been a machine. You know he had the sack obviously this week. He's been a machine. You know on blitzes from that slot position, and Spags loves to use him, and and he definitely utilized him this week. But I also want to point out that. You know, it's a, it was a second forced fumble this week, too. And that is one of only two NFL DBs this season have, have forced multiple fumbles. So, you know, we, we, we got our Kansas City version of Peanut Tillman over here, man. Just a playmaker, man. Just, just you know, I do think there's, you know, he has the body for coverage. He has the speed for coverage. I, I don't think that's his strong suit, though. And I, I think I mentioned that earlier, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this season on the pod. But it doesn't matter, man, because he gets weaponized the right way. Spags uses him the right way. And, and, and he... Was that you know he made a huge difference in this game you know his play so shout out Snead. Yeah, that that play there was a a lot of talk about how he set that up, how he disguised it, how he even was like fidgeting with his right with his gloves or his mouthpiece or his helmet or something before the play, which caused Brady to kind of look away from him. Uh, just really great execution and obviously the the physical tools to get home, and really just absolutely game changing plays uh, from Snead. So. Yeah, he doesn't have to be a lockdown corner, especially when McDuffie gets back. You've got your cover corner, and then you've got your your all-around playmaker in, in Snead, and uh, they're going to make a nice tandem for, for a long time to come, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's coming up. It's his third year now, so the Chiefs will have to make that decision. You know, you're, it's I am curious, you know, kind of what he demands as a, you know, as a, a player right now, you know, what the team values him at. Um, 
we want to get into more stats. You know, the running backs are obviously a, a point of talk. I know Stags, you'll love to talk about the running backs. Do you have any I, stats? I had a professional transition already for this, Ron. So speaking of great tandems, ah, uh, you, you've got yes. Clyde and Isaiah Pacheco. Um, so Clyde this week, 159 after this week. So sorry, year to date, 159 of his 208 total rushing yards have come after contact. Uh, that's courtesy of Arrowhead Live on Twitter. Um Clyde really showing that he's not an easy guy to bring down. Uh, that short stature, I think, helps. Uh, as you well know, Ron, uh, wow. from personal experience. Wow. Shots <laughs> fired. Oh, my Lord. But uh, the, the Clyde and Pacheco, you know, I love how they were, they're both being used now. And they're both having success. So you talked about, and this is this is to quote Ron Cop Jr. on Twitter, uh, at Ron underscore K-O-P-P. I've heard he's smart. I've heard it's a good-looking dude, too. Sharp guy, yeah. Ron says that uh, both guys are averaging five yards a carry, both getting 3.4 yards after contact, and both have three 10 yards plus plays. Really, the, the symmetry between these two is, is astounding. This week, their stats were almost identical through, for a big portion of the game. Throughout the season, both are finding success. Both are running hard and aggressive. Um, so far, Pacheco has not been used in the passing game like Clyde has, but you're really getting a, a nice uh, one-two punch there. Yeah, you know, Clyde has the advantage with the carries on on those numbers. Um you know, so the 10 yard rushes, like that's even more impressive for Checo, right? That he's put together three, the same amount of 10 yard carries with 14 less uh, carries than Clyde. But the other number too about Pacheco that I pointed out on Twitter, and this is from Next Gen Stats, um, Isaiah Pacheco averaged 5.7 yards per carry this week. He also faced eight man boxes on the third highest rate of any NFL running back this week. So that means the Bucks, when Pacheco was in, they understood that, look, you know, they probably want to run the ball when Pacheco's in, you know, it, it's it and it, it is a tell, right? You know, they they NFL teams know that they're not using him in the pass game right now. It didn't matter. He still averaged 5.7 yards a carry despite defenses really, really, you know, statistically keying in on him, um, you know, loading the box against him. It speaks to the offensive line, you know, creating those seams for him, too. But Pacheco, the way he runs, you know, uh, Talon Graf, you know, our guy, uh, shout out Talon. He replied to me on Twitter and said, you know, it looks like he, you know, he runs like he's angry at the grass, which I think there's a great description uh, right there. So I don't know, man, Pacheco, you know, and Andy Reid mentioned on Monday, you know, we're getting to learn number 10. That's what he said. You know, we're getting to learn a lot about him. So, you know, I, I think we're going to keep seeing more and more of him as he, as he continues to impress because he definitely impressed this week. Yeah, it's a nice rotation and, and it's come at the expense of Jared McKinnon to some extent. Yeah. McKinnon's snaps oh, yeah. and his carries have, have dropped quite a bit. Um, his passing game work is going to Clyde and you know this week they tried to use him in some short yardage situation which which was not yeah, uh, a good idea yeah. um, but I, I sure like the way Clyde and Pacheco look together uh, as a as a complement to one another and, and I think that should continue uh, again at the expense of McKinnon and obviously keeping Ronald Jones uh, on the shelf uh, where he's been all season at this point barring injury this should be your tandem and i would love to see this type of balance in games going forward we all know that andy reed is notorious for not running the ball very much and we know that if you call an rpo with patrick mahomes normally it's a p not an r uh, in, in those scenarios <laughs> yes. Yes, but the more designed power run scheme stuff like they ran this week 
that, that we see going forward, the more balanced this team is going to be. And we saw against Tampa, a balanced Chiefs offense is a deadly one. Yep. And, and speaking of balance, I, I, I do want to point out a good stat on the passing game because, you know, one thing about this season that I continue to be amazed about is how Travis Kelsey is still able to put up elite production, be dominant. You know, it was something that I came into the season really thinking, okay, if, you know, defenses have to try to take him away, have to test Mahomes and say, look, we're going to take your favorite option away. You have to win with your new receivers. But, you know, the Cardinals first week did not try. They, they definitely let that connection go. But, man, these last three weeks have really shown that no matter what, no matter what the defense wants to do, Mahomes and Kelsey are going to get connected. They're going to get together. You know, that first play of the game, you know, it honestly was a, a fantastic call by Andy Reid. This goes back to the game planning point. But just a quick little, you know, he, he fakes like he's going to sit real quick. And, you know, Levante David, a great linebacker. He's played over, you know, millions of snaps of football. You know, that play to him, muscle memory, he's thinking, okay, he's just going to sit down right there because that's what all, you know, that's a, a typical play right here. Kelsey's so quick with his, his fake of that sit route that before David can even react to him going out of his break, Kelsey's in front of him and has a couple steps on him, and that's where you get the touchdown. And then there's also this play on third down later in the game where, man, there is nothing special about, you know, this out route at the sticks. You know, Kelsey's just running a basic out route. And Devin White is coming to sandwich him from the inside, and Carlton Davis, a really good cornerback on the outside. Those two are coming to, to squeeze that play and, and make sure it doesn't get complete. And Mahomes just, he actually, you know, he actually adjusts his footwork, you know, rushes his drop a little bit to make sure he throws it on time, where right between, you know, right before White can get there, right before Davis can react to it. This connection is crazy. And, and, and that's what gets to my stat. I just rambled on, uh, you know, without even mentioning the stat. Um, he's still in the NFL this year, you know, before Monday night, he was the first in the NFL in and catches turning into a first down. Well, Cooper cup, uh, you know, apparently is just going off. So he actually is in first place now after Monday night, but second most in the NFL this year, 21 of his 26 catches have moved the stick stags. And when you factor in that, he scored three times, which is not factored into this 24 of his 26 catches have either scored or moved the stains, moved the chains, meaning only two catches he's made this year have not. And, and now that I'm honestly thinking about one against the Colts, he barely missed the first down because Gilmore made a really good play on it, but it was a third down conversion. So this guy is just, just all he does is move the sticks and he can't be stopped. And, and the Chiefs offense is, is still going through him and defenses are doing whatever they or defenses are trying to stop it and they just can't. And it just blows my mind stacks. This is how good he is. And it's why he it does have a legitimate conversation to be the greatest tight end of all time because teams know they want to go to him and it, and they just can't do anything about it. It's just madness at this point. Yep. The only, the only thing that he needs to be the best to ever do it is to just keep doing it for 10, 10 more years uh, like Tony <laughs> Gonzalez and those guys, right? So right. No, he, he is the best to ever do it. And he's just automatic. And, and to, for him to pass Gronk already in, in career yardage, uh, he's doing. He's hitting all of these career milestones earlier than than anybody else has done it. Uh, it's really all about longevity. So hopefully he's got a, uh, a cryogenic chamber at home and and he's uh, uh, preserving himself because this version of Travis Kelsey is a joy to watch and and uh, we don't want to see that end anytime soon and definitely not anytime any place other than Kansas City. It, what else uh, did you see in your on-field analysis? I know you've got a piece coming out yep. or, or that may already be out uh, about uh, uh, what you saw on-field uh, from this week. 
Yeah, no, I, I had fun looking at this film because, um, you know, I mentioned the offense, you know, the game plan being great. You know, it, it was married with really good execution. You know, the, the, the offensive line is one thing, but Mahomes' ex- execution of a lot of these plays was, was insane as well. Um, but just to point out a few of the, the little things that Andy did to, to, you know, win this game. You know, Nate Tice actually pointed this out on Twitter, who, who's a really good follow um, the, at The Athletic. Um, he does a, a weekly pod, too, with Robert Mays um, over there. But he pointed out on Twitter that the Chiefs were getting to the 12 or 13 personnel, actually mostly the 13 personnel, which is the three tight end sets. And what they would do is, is they would see how the Bucks would match them personnel-wise, right? And they would literally just see, okay, is Vita Vea in the game right here or is he not? If he's in the game, if Vita Vea, their, their big nose tackle that's hard to block, we're going to spread it out. We're going to get into empty sets and we're going to throw out of it, right? If he's not in the game when we get into that huddle, 13 personnel huddle, we're going to we're going to line up tight, we're going to line up bunch and we're going to run it. And and he had a, a lot of examples of where they did that and it was successful. And I just think it's one of the wrinkles Andy was doing. I already mentioned a lot of the the mix up in the run games, you know. I I I just think that's smart. That's that's how you weaponize the offensive line. The crazy part to me is is the offense was basically perfect, right? I mean, the offense, the only time they got stopped until it was, you know, garbage time pretty much, is Clyde dropping the, the wheel route, right? Which, you know, that's a tough catch, but, you know, you, you do need to make that catch. You know, no, there's no excuses to be made there. But but to, to uh, put that in perspective, what happened right after that is right. uh, Sneed's fumble and the, and the Chiefs got the ball back and scored. So, it, sure – if, if that still happened, then you, you gave away an extra touchdown, but at least that uh, uh, they didn't lose momentum or, or much in the game because of that stop. It really, you're right. It was a really efficient day uh, all the way around. And, and yeah, they were it, it, inches away from it being an absolute blowout. Right. Yeah. No, it wasn't a way to talk about, you know, they could have scored more points because that's a, you know, you're right. But it was just, yeah, it's just funny how the only time they got stopped. You know, and, and what happened there was actually, you know, the Kelsey connection, right? The Bucks, you know, wanted to take it away. Devin White actually has man coverage on Clyde on that play. But he knows Mahomes wants to go to Kelsey maybe on a fourth and short. So he actually kind of cheats a little bit, tries to read Mahomes' eyes and, and jump a route to Kelsey. Well, Mahomes, being smart, understanding that, you know, takes what the defense gives. Clyde's wide open in the flat. So that's why he was wide open there. But, you know, you, you talked about the defense and, and, you know, my on-field analysis was about the offense this week. But I did want to point out on the defense – you know, Spags called a hell of a game. You know, he he really did, you know, dial up the blitzes when he wanted to. He ran dime and going by the snap counts, I'm, I'm I I can't I don't know for sure this is correct, but I'm pretty sure based on Harris's snap count, um, because he, you know, the only reason he'd be on the field is if they're not in dime. They must have ran dime on 67% of their defensive snaps, which is like an outrageous number. And I know they were, you know, they were protecting a lead a lot of the game, so they're playing a lot of prevent, a lot of pass coverage defense, but you know, I think that really did mess with Brady. I really think, you know, they, they didn't expect them to live and dime like that and, and, and get creative with the blitzes on every down rather than just on the third downs. Spags does that quite a bit, but it, it was I, I did think Spags did a really good job of timing up the blitzes, right? You know, that that Sneed blitz caught him by surprise because it was on a first down. And the Rashad Fenton blitz, too, that he missed was on a first down as well. So Spags called a hell of a game. I, I think he, uh, credit's due to him. Um, and, and I think the defense really did confuse Brady on, on some passes. And, and, and that's why, you know, they, they were able to have some success against him. Another sign that they were in the dime all, all game. Uh, rookie Brian Cook was in the game right. for 73% of the snaps. Now, yeah. And, and that's what it, 
you know, since Justin Reed went out, that's where it was like, well, I don't know for sure if that's just like how you count exactly what the dime was, but yes, you're right. It was a Brian cook played a ton and that's a good indication of it too. All right. Well, we're just about uh, time to take a break and hear from our sponsors, but in the meantime, we normally do a, would you rather uh, we'll play a little different game this week, Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. There's been some talk about where, this Mahomes play to Clyde Edwards-Alaire this week fits in the Mount Rushmore or the, the top 10 list or whatever of Mahomes' career. Yep. By the way, we're not even mentioning the play this week where Mahomes was sacked and, and still threw the <laughs> ball to Juju and got a I first know. ball. Um, but where does that play, that Clyde Edwards-Alaire play, fit in? Uh, I'm going to give you a list of Mahomes, some of Mahomes' greatest plays. And you got to narrow this list down to four while we're on break. So when we come back, Ron's going to give us the definitive Mount Rushmore of Mahomes plays. And this is the list he's got to choose from. So, of course, there's Wasp in the Super Bowl. Uh, No question that's on the list. Uh, There's the left-handed pass against Denver that really made everybody stand up and say, this guy's different, right? You've got the epic run against the Titans, uh, to basically send the Chiefs to the Super Bowl or to help send the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. And that was really turning the tide of that game, right? That was the that was the the momentum shift to where Mahomes said, literally over my dead body, uh, I'm going to run through the entire defense uh, and score a touchdown. You've got that pass against San Francisco um, that was uh, him running around. And, and uh, I, actually, I forget who, he, who was the receiving end of that one. Chris Conley. Chris Conley. All right. So you've got the Chris Conley San Francisco pass. You've got this week's pass to Clyde uh, where he went Steph Curry on, on the goal line. You've got last year's 13 seconds when he completed that pass to Kelsey, the back shoulder in the end zone in that scenario, just the gravity of that. And then you've got one that we almost forgot about, which was the jump pass in the middle of the field against the Titans that hit McColl for a long touchdown. So take that list. You're missing one, Stags. You're, miss, you're missing one, Stags. What are we missing? Ravens fourth and nine. I did not get that one. I don't That's think. right. All right, fourth and nine against the Ravens to Tyreek Hill deep down the field. Uh, that's the effort Tyreek is down there play that a lot of people would say, but it actually was placed pretty nicely in it given the, uh, the distance that he had to chunk that one. Yeah, this is a tough list, Stags. So uh, <laughs> give me a little time and break. So come on now. All right. Stick with us. We'll be back with your questions and Ron's Mount Rushmore right after this. And we're back on the Out of Structure Podcast, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagner with Ron Cobb Jr., who just in the time that we were away, definitively answered the question of the four plays on the Mount Rushmore for Patrick Mahomes, the four Hall of Fame highlight reel plays that we're going to talk about forever. Ron, where'd you land? All right. This is tough, man. Cause you know, and, and even I was thinking too, you know, we all, it, it's easy to forget, like even earlier this year, the week two, uh, you know, where he's running to the sideline, you know, he spins around and then, you know, chucks an underhand to Jarek McKinnon pretty much so many plays stag, so many plays, but I think the easy ones, I, I think it is, you, you have to do wasp in the AFC championship game run because not only are they amazing plays, they happen in the biggest stages, the biggest moments. So you got to do those two. 
I'm going to go Ravens fourth and nine because that play is just absurd. He's run, he's sprinting to his right and throws it, you know, so far downfield. I mean, just unbelievable. It's a fourth down play, obviously games on the line, you know, and it's his first year starting. So I, I think that's still, you know, it, it's still crazy to me. The fourth spot is where it gets really hard, but Stags, you, you brought it up, you know, as a kind of a late addition as like, Oh yeah, that did happen. Right. That Tennessee Titans jump pass, man. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like that is just, to hit the guy, to hit McColl on the run like he did. I know the Conley touchdown is like the coming out party moment, but I think this this jump pass against the Titans is even harder and crazier. And it, it was still a big part of the game. You know, they they lost that game, but it, that play could have won them the game if the defense, uh, you know, holds up after that. So I don't think this week's play deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore. I, I think it's a crazy play. I think, you know, it's all up there with the top five, top tens of his career, but. I, I, you know, in terms of difficulty of play, in terms of just like sheer, like, holy cow, this dude is insane. I still think that Tennessee Titans jump pass in 2019. It was actually the game he came back from injury, too. I mean, just unreal, unreal. Mahomes, he's just crazy. Yeah, that was an impossible task. I'm glad I put you on the spot as opposed to the other way around. I appreciate that. I think that's a good list. Um, I'm not so sure that that's exactly the way I would go with that fourth spot, but yeah, that. Seeing the oh, highlight again from that, you put you, you put me on the spot. Where what is it then? What's the fourth one then? You know the the fourth one for me is probably the. I still think it's the thirteen seconds. You know, I think just the moment, just yeah. the just the story of that game again, tarnished by the fact that they didn't uh, end up back in the Super Bowl this past year. But that the right. epic nature of that game and the way that uh, they won that is just going to be, it's going to be hard to, to uh, ever forget. And then, yeah. yeah, just, that was just a, you know, it was just a perfect play to end it to the, to the perfect player. So uh, That's I like that one. I, I do think this Clyde pass is up there. It's, it's definitely uh, on the list of improv improvisations is pretty high. Obviously there's no look passes. We didn't even talk about. There are uh, you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of other stuff out there, but, and we'll see what he does this week. This list might this list might change. All right. Yeah. You know. You know. Real quick, I I I meant to bring this up, but Peter King actually in his Football Morning in America actually did a similar thing where he looked at he wanted to list Mahomes' best plays, and he did. You know, you mentioned the no look. He did actually have the number two play he thinks Mahomes has ever made, as that that Ravens game, the same Ravens game as the fourth and nine, where he no looks to D Rob, where he's looking to the right and throws it. He had that as the number two throw, and like. I get it. It is nuts. But I mean, you know, I don't know. You think that deserves to be up there? I, I you know, I don't just compared to there, the rest. There was of the another no look pass to a running back on the sideline uh, through a couple defenders that, that uh, always sticks in my mind ahead of the, the D Rob one. Yeah. Uh, but hey, a lot of people pointed out the Clyde pass this week was sort of a no look as well. Yeah, um, it was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> so Freaking ridiculous, man. Well, back to this game and back to your questions. Um, appreciate everybody who, who responded with questions this week. Definitely, if you haven't asked a question in the past, nothing's off limits. So, so bring your bring your worst for us. Uh, but uh, somebody who always brings great questions, Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter, is the out of conference win over the Bucks more valuable to the Chiefs' mission than a win against the Colts would have been? So maybe this is the would you rather? Would you rather have beat the Colts <laughs> yeah. and lost to the Bucks or or lost to the Colts and beat the Bucks. You know, 
in terms of playoff seeding, man, it is really important to have those AFC wins. Like it really is. Like especially when the the top of the AFC race with the Ravens and the Bills might be you know t- tight this year. But I, I do think the challenges or the uh, lessons you learn from from winning this big against a, a really good team against Tom Brady against the number one defense in the league on the road, you know, after facing you know a, a you know a, the adversity of everyone talking about you know the Colts loss. I do think, you know, in terms of the team psyche, you know, let's say they come out with that same, you know, Sags, what if they come out with this mentality this week and, and still lose? You know, I mean, that's that's a pretty downer. You know, that's a pretty big downer for a new team. You know, I know Mahomes has been, you know, there's a core that's been there, but there's a lot of new faces too. So I, I will say this is probably more important. I, I would rather the than have this statement win against the Bucks if it means losing the, the, the Colts game, even though that AFC win is, is really important. It really is. What do you think? No question. I, I think I think the playoff atmosphere, the prime time, the, right? Uh, the contender, the into a lesser extent, getting some monkeys off your back with the, you know, getting, yeah, that's getting past that Super Bowl uh, loss. You know, getting the offensive line back to the way that they're they're playing today. Like you know, this week, yeah, I, I I wouldn't change it. Jake also asked, do you think the Chiefs benefit from losing a few games? that kind of reigns in the, the side effect of the team complacency from having Mahomes magic. So again, said another way, do they, do they benefit? Is it good for them to drop a stinker now and then just to keep them humble? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily good for them to, to ever, uh, you know, lose the game. I think it's good for them to have those stinkers of games, you know, even if they pull it out at the end, but yeah, I guess, you know, there's sometimes even when you play bad and you win, you kind of just feel invincible, right? You know, it almost is like, hey, you know, we can do this even when we're playing bad. But I do think it's just natural. And and I think, you know, that was kind of, you know, off the, you know, the the front of the show is just that, you know, they are going to have the, these games, right? They are going to have these losses and there are lessons to learn from them. And, and, and I think you saw the offensive line learned the lesson in one week, you know, pretty much that, hey, you know, if, if we can come out and, and, and set the tone, you know, and be aggressive rather than, you know, and, and I, again, I think the coaching staff had a lot to do with weaponizing them this week, but I, I, I do think the losses can be good, you know, definitely, um, you know, I, I, again, an AFC loss isn't good and, and you want to win those games, especially when it's against a crappy team. And cause you have such a hard schedule, man, like you are not getting the Colts on the schedule again for quite a while. I'll tell you that much. Uh, the Colts are probably the worst team. It, they may end up being the worst team they play all year. So in that respect, you know, you want to win those games because you're going to lose some of the, the games against tougher teams. Yeah, I, I do. I, I get what you're saying because I do think that there's there's something to be said for the the years they've dealt with adversity. 2019, when they won the Super Bowl, they dealt with a ton of adversity that year. They had injuries. They had some stinkers that year. There were question marks throughout. There was things that they had to go through, and I think that, that helped, you know, help them – in the end, because they had a lot of strength that they could draw from that, a lot of uh, battle tested, you know, some scars that they can draw on. Yeah. And I think the the following year, they sort of coasted a little bit into that Super Bowl year against against Tampa. Uh, and and we were, you know, we as fans were pretty overconfident going into that Super Bowl and and uh, didn't see any way that they were going to lose because even if they didn't play well that year, they still won. So mm-hmm. to your point, they. They, they probably felt a little more invincible that year uh, and, and it didn't work out well for them. So I think if you think of it as a, as a movie script, as I often do, there's always the, the, the down, you know, the dips in the season. There's always the, the struggles that a team goes through 
and that's part of what makes them a champion. Uh, I think if they coast through the entire season, they might uh, – that stinker that they that's going to happen at some point might happen in the playoffs. And, right. And so you, that's what you don't want. Right. Exactly. No, no, you want the stinkers to happen now. I mean, that's the thing. It is kind of funny. You know, it's either, you know, Andy Reid starts off really hot or, you know, like last year wasn't the greatest start to the season. Um, but, you know, that's that's just how the, the Chiefs have been. And I, I definitely think it's just it'd be nice if, you know, maybe those stinkers happened uh, against, you know, better teams, uh, you know, so you beat the good teams. Right. Uh, or you beat the the bad teams and, and don't, you know, uh, have too many losses against, you know, your your the teams you need tiebreakers against. That's the that's my main thing. Well, Jalen Daniels truther at KC fan four thirteen on Twitter. Mahomes looked more in tune with Juju and MVS last night than ever before. How much can we expect the wide receiver production to amp up as this trend continues? And I think this is true. You're right. There was some. There were some positive signs, even though it still wasn't that explosive breakout game from MVS or Juju, but there were positive signs uh, with both of those guys. Another interesting stat, by the way, on this theme, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 11 touchdown passes so far this season. Two of those have been to wide receivers. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's got to be surprising given their investment at the position and their, their, how much they're depending on these two veterans to be – a big part of this solution and a big part of this Tyreek Hill less wide receiver group. Um, what do you think about what we saw this week or just kind of as a trend goes for MVS and Juju? Yeah, you made a great point last week and it was just amplified this week, uh, you know, in terms of we're seeing that MVS and Juju are, are pretty much, they were signed and are, you know, to come in and pretty much be who we've seen them be in the NFL before. And that really came to fruition today. You know, the MVS, uh, you know, plays against Tampa were, were, you know, two of his biggest plays were just these vertical routes, right? Which one of them, you know, an amazing throw by Mahomes to beat the the cover two, you know, the dropping linebacker in the middle covers, that Tampa linebacker, um, Tampa two, the coverage, not the team. Um, and he just puts it on the money to MVS who has the speed to, you know, penetrate, you know, down the middle and, and, and you know, not let the linebacker catch up but also the length, you know, to, to catch that pass, which is a really hard pass to catch. I mean, you know, it's, it's coming in hot. He has to turn all the way around, you know, above his head and, and snag it. But that's what MBS is good at. <laughs> you know, that it, that's, he's good at, you know, catching passes down the field, you know, and, and being a speed threat down the field. And then you see Juju, you know, and, and I think Juju, uh, you know, has, has, has been a solid receiver, but that's always been in his career for the most part, besides that, you know, one explosive year with, with uh, Antonio Brown. You know, he's just been a, a, a guy that, you know, it, it catches tough passes and, and does what he's supposed to do. And you saw that against Tampa. You know, I think one thing interesting about Juju is he has the lowest average depth of target of the, of the entire Chiefs receiving core. He's the guy that's winning on those those quick routes. And, and you know, Mahomes is finding on those short sit routes. You know, that, that's what Juju's doing right now. And he's doing a good job of it. You know, and, and we saw he converted a third and long with a, a quick screen pass, too. So, you know, he he's doing his thing, but that's kind of what, we've seen him do in Pittsburgh and, and maybe people said, Oh, well, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is holding him back. Well, he's kind of doing that same thing in, in Kansas city. And, you know, all, all it goes back to is that we might just be seeing Andy Reed kind of, you know, resort back to what he had before tire kill, which, you know, when, if you ever, you know, were a fantasy player with chiefs players on the team, you knew that, you know, they score with running backs to score with tight ends or receivers never really were like these featured part of the offense. And I think he kind of might just be resorting back to that, you know, where, 
his offense really does run through the tight ends, the running backs, you know, and, and, and getting, you know, these, these different kinds of players, the, the plays and the receivers are more just a complimentary piece that kind of keep the cogs, you know, you know, cogs in the machine more than, you know, the, the, the machine itself. So that's, that's, that's what it looks like with MVS and Juju and they, and they executed their roles really well against Tampa. And that's what it, that's the, almost to the ceiling of what it'll look like in my opinion, um, what they did against Tampa. Yeah, the, the only thing that's been missing really has just been those those deep shots to to MVS. I mean, if if he starts executing more and more of those, I mean, and even the one this week was great, but like what what MVS has done in his career has been the the seventy yard touchdown, you know, the the absolute bombs downfield, uh, and so I still think that's missing a little bit. I still think that explosive element to this offense isn't where it's going to be. So. Uh, they they got a couple of those plays this week, but I, I expect that part to trend upward, whether it's MVS or, or maybe somebody else, that explosive element still is is good, not great. It's still, you know, not quite to where I think it, it could be from a ceiling standpoint. Yeah, well, I, I you know, we'll talk about the receivers a little more after this next question. But Black Elf 19 at Black Elf 6624 on Twitter. Let's still go to the defensive side of the ball because he asks about the pass rush. He said he just you know wants our thoughts on the pass rush. You know, last night and this season, it feels miles better than last season, but it still feels like a lot of the pressures and sacks only come from stunts and blitzes. Um, Stags, I, I think we we kind of you know had similar kind of maybe thoughts about you know or uh, of the defense uh, when you think about the pass rush and you think about how the defensive line was forming or just the overall unit in, in pass rush. Uh, what are your thoughts and do you have any stats for us on that? Yeah, from Seth Walder on Twitter put out some next-gen ESPN stats on win rates from the across the NFL by position. So for defensive tackles, Chris Jones is number one with a 50% win rate. Uh, and, and so really that's, that's him in each of his snaps. Is he beating his guy? Uh, is he successful in beating his guy or, or not? 50% of the time, Chris Jones is winning, which is a – ridiculous rate surprisingly on that list at number five in the nfl tershawn warden uh number five with a 25 percent win rate so big difference between him and jones still but there's he's winning as much as any other defensive lineman in the league not named chris jones um, or actually right now shelby harris which is uh, a surprising name on that list and, and not seeing aaron donald uh, up there but for defensive tackles there's, you know, Chris Jones is obviously getting home and, and winning. From the defensive end position, there's only one chief defensive end or edge player that even shows up on the on the radar of the top ten, and it's George Karloftis in a four way tie for six for for ninth place, excuse me, uh, with a 25 percent win rate of his own. So it, it does look like, at least based on those those stats that the Chiefs front four are winning their individual matchups at least. Now, they're getting pressures. They're not getting a lot of sacks yet still, I don't think. But uh, they're they're at least winning their matchups along that front four, which I think is is progress. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing against Brady. It is really hard to get true pressure on him, bro. He gets, he gets the ball out so quick. He has the lowest time um, from snap to throw in the league this year. So I, I do think that's a that's a lot of the equation. But no, there were a lot of times last or you know Sunday night where 
he, he did stand back there and, and nothing was really happening. I do think, you know, the, the Colts game, you know, you saw them dominate because the quarterback isn't that way. You know, Matt Ryan is not the same way. You know, he, he is he's not quick with the ball at all. So it is a little surprising uh, to see Turk Wharton and George Karloftis up there because you're right. I think Chris Jones is the only one making, you know, standing out to me as, as someone who's winning quite a bit. Because Karloftis, I mean, he's not really standing out at all. Um, you know, he made the play against the run, a tackle for loss against Tampa, but that was really the only time um, you really noticed him. So it is kind of interesting, but again, Spags made it work, you know, this week by dialing it up, you know, making the right pressure uh, blitzes work. But, you know, that's not always going to work, right? And, and, and so uh, you, you definitely want to see, you know, the pass rush win more. So I, I, it is a little weird to me because I don't think I, – I, you know, I just don't think, you know, they're – George Karloftis or Turk Wharton, you know, are succeeding like those stats maybe say they would. They would. Yeah, I was looking at the number of pressures also by uh, by player on the Chiefs. Chris Jones leads the team with 15. Karloftis has 10. Dana, Mike Dana, even after missing a game, has eight. Um, so two games. He's missed two games. Yeah. That's right. So you've got um, you've got a few guys getting pressure, but as far as like multiple sacks, it's it's Jones. Uh, it's Dunlap, you know, and it's Sneed, right? So, like, uh, Frank Clark has looked about like Frank Clark has, right? He, he's been active. He's yeah. he's had a couple of plays where he flashes that speed or power, um, but a long periods of time where you don't notice him too much. And George Karloftis, I, I always get off on a George Karloftis tangent here, Rod. This, this, <laughs> I set you a, up. I set you it's, up. It's part of my brand now, apparently, but – I even got called out by an old college buddy, Nate. Uh, shout out to Nate if you're listening. Uh, when George made that play this week, he was like, hey, there's the guy you, you didn't want this this team to draft. And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, were we actually wrong on Karloftis? Uh, or is he exactly what we, th- we thought he would be? Right. At the time of the draft and pre-draft when we did our evaluations, the thing that stood out to me was he's a competent player, but he's not dynamic and he's not going to get a lot of sacks in the NFL. That, that was my take. Um, well, what has he done since he's been here? He's played a ton of snaps. He's been fully competent. He's mm-hmm. made a handful of really good plays against the run, but he's yet to record his first NFL sack. Yeah. It's four games in. He's a rookie, you know, expectations should be low, but that was my argument all along. Keep your expectations low on this kid. Don't expect him to be a 10, 15 sack guy. Because uh, he's just not that, and and to date he's been he's been good, it's been solid. He's made a couple of plays where you're like, whoa, there he is, you know, like the tackle yeah. for loss this week. Uh, but he hasn't been a consistent threat as a pass rusher yet, and he hasn't closed the deal yet uh, as as a pro in the regular season. Right, and and I do think uh, to your point. Like, I think one thing we talked about when he was drafted and we talked about even after that, you know, as the offseason went on is that he is a high effort player and that's going to turn into, you know, some 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 effort stats in the box score. Like, I do think he's gotten two bad at passes, right? I, I, that's two bad at pass through four games. I, you know, no Chiefs defensive line besides Chris Jones had multiple bad at passes all of last year. That's an effort stat. And you see some of these tackle for losses. You know, he's made a few plays in the backfield, but. It's those are just these these effort plays that we probably expected, right? You know, we you know a, a guy that you know has high motor and you know the play he made this week, he just shot off the ball really well and beat the tight end of the you know who's trying to seal him off the gap. I mean, that's just a guy you know uh, you know making you know making a high effort play. So 
Yeah. I, to, to your point, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it is what we kind of maybe expected. Has he been dramatically different from Mike Dana this year? Exactly. Exactly. And Dana's actually been more productive. So yeah, they, they've both been good. I'm yeah, glad exactly. both are on the team. Right. But like, are either of them going to, you know, make the game changing sack when the game's on the line? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure of it yet. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that's the point. And, you know, the thing is, he, you know, with Dana, is like it's his third year, so this is who he is. We all know that. And the fear is that this is who Karloftis is too. You know, we, we will give him the time to show if he can progress and turn into more. But so far, he is showing, like you mentioned, what we kind of all maybe thought he was going to be, which never was supposed to be this, you know, he can't contribute. He can't be a good NFL player. That was never the case. So I, I'm backing you up here. Appreciate that. Well, one last question before we get a quick preview of this coming week, uh, Raiders week, uh, our question, our final question from, uh, well, actually one more football question uh, or one more Chiefs question. Let's say it that way from Jalen Daniels, truther again, why keep rolling with Sky more on punts when he looks so uncomfortable, especially when you have a former pro bowler as a returner on the roster? Yeah, so there it is. It is getting interesting, man. You know, we saw Sky Moore's snap count get up a little bit on offense this week, right? And it wasn't necessarily in McColl's place. I noticed it was more maybe, um, you know, in, in sort of the role that MBS and Juju play more. Because that's the thing with this whole – because I do think there is something too. Hey, why don't they just – why doesn't McColl go back to punt returner and stuff? Because he's not featured in the offense enough to really be like an offense-only player. And obviously, yeah, Sky does look uncomfortable. I agree with this guy here. There is something too, though, that McColl plays a pretty unique position in the offense. You know, they don't use him like they want to use Sky, in my opinion. They use him to be a lot of the the long, deep routes on, you know, um, to push safeties deep, you know, decoy deep routes, jet sweeps, you know, quick screens. You know, Sky Moore, you know, get the ball in his hands on quick screens for sure, but he he needs to be running routes. He needs to be running short to intermediate routes. You know, getting open. You know, because he might be the the best, uh, you know, receiver on the team already in terms of creating separation right off the snap with that footwork that he has that was definitely impressive in training camp more than it was on the other receivers. So they do, they would have to change the offense around a little bit, in my opinion, um, you know, kind of change what it is right now with McColl's role to feature sky more <laughs> sky more, but, but why not? Uh, why not do that? So I, I, I'm definitely curious if they do that and, and it might be coming, man, you know, we're a quarter in the season. This is where they might start to make adjustments like that. So I'm, I'm curious to see if this happens too. Yeah, I mean, I know the question was about punt returning, um, but right. the two are related. And they, the Chiefs even tried to make this point to, by saying, yeah, we had to roll with Sky Moore as a punt returner because we wanted Hardman out there on offense and, and you didn't want to yeah. take him from returning to immediately um, move on to the next day, uh, move on to the next play, excuse me. But um, when it comes to the offense, I still think there is that element missing. I mentioned that with MVS, and maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's McColl or Juju. Uh, I'm sorry, McColl or Sky Moore. Mm-hmm. McColl, rookie year McColl, was a big play machine. He got open mm-hmm. down the field. He took short passes long, and he really uh, was a difference maker uh, in using that speed in the open field. When uh, when he's not there and, and teams are able to focus on, uh, on these other guys, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So I think – I think you need MVS to take the top off, but you also need somebody, whether it's McColl or Skymore, who can take a short pass and, and, and run fast with it. And, and so I'm curious to see how they get those two guys involved in the offense. 
um, as well as the uh, uh, as well as the, the punt return game. Yeah, no, I, I do think we may see something coming because why, you know, I know MVS came into the game questionable with an abdomen injury, but, uh, you know, and, that, and I think Sky's snap count went up a little bit because of that. But I also think they're they're getting they're gearing up to get him going because I do think his skill set could be utilized more in the offense. And they know that they know. That. Well, the final question um, is also from Black Elf 19 favorite active non Chiefs player in the NFL today. Well, he's on. He's my fantasy quarterback. He's leading me to uh, some some wins this year. I'm feeling good about him. Uh, I, I I'm the Eagles are always kind of a, a a team to kind of root for to me. They're you know even if they are good. So Jalen Hurts is one of my favorite players. But also Jason Kelsey. Shout out you know him and Kel- him and Travis doing the podcast together. So you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm liking the Eagles right now. So Jalen Hurts would be one of my favorites. Yeah, that's not a bad pick and and somebody who's up and coming in this league and and fun to watch and. Uh... Maybe came out of nowhere a little bit this year, uh, just like the Eagles team. I didn't expect them to be what they are, and uh, you know he's a big part of that. So uh, I'm going to go with Aaron Donald. I mean, it seems like an obvious answer because he's he's just such a freak and just mm-hmm. such uh, a difference maker. Also, given the fact that he's you know he doesn't have stereotypical size, but yeah. uh, but but the way he he gets it done and and the way he's just completely unstoppable, I think. I already liked watching him before, but when I saw him in the Super Bowl, down the stretch, closing that game out, uh, being completely unblockable when they needed somebody to make a play, uh, th- that sealed the deal for me. So, yeah, I'll go with Aaron Donald for now, even if it feels like a cop-out. Yeah, he's fun to watch. He, he is just – he. it's so fun to watch offensive linemen try to block him, and then he just rips them to shreds. It's, it is fun. I will give you that. Well, let's quickly take a quick look ahead at the uh, quickly quickly take a quick look, Ron, at the Raiders game coming up. Uh, so as we start to run out of time, as we close this thing out, but let's talk about this this Raiders week. How can they uh, uh, how can they keep this ball rolling against the Raiders? Well, speaking of pass rush, uh, it's a good test for them at home against a, a bad Raiders offensive line. You know, they did have. I have seen a few people uh, notice that uh, I think it was their right guard. He's a rookie, but he's played pretty well so far. So that's, you know, they've, they've been a little better maybe than, than uh, originally expected, but still a weak point of their offense because they do have still so many weapons. So the pass rush is really going to have to be key this week, you know, getting pressure on Carr, not letting him have time to get to Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, and if Hunter Renfro, I think, I'm not sure if he's going to be back this week, but he's been hurt. But they have weapons. So if the pass rush, you know, can't win, and, you know, I, I think Spags wants to maybe stay in more coverage this week to help against Waller and Adams, right? Two of the better playmakers at the receiving positions in the league. I, I do think that's the key on that side of the ball. And then, you know, I think the Raiders defense is going to be exploitable. You know, I, I they they have two really good pass rushers, uh, you know, ch- uh, with, uh, you know, Chandler Jones and um, Max Crosby. Um, so those two, you know, the, the offensive tackles will have another test. You know, we, we mentioned the offensive line playing really well against the Bucs. Well, here, here comes another test for Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, similar to the Chargers, Chargers game. And so, yeah, that's that's it's kind of both sides of the ball, you know, as, as it always is, right? Is the offensive line, defensive line matchups are the, the keys to watch. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to, Stags. If the, if the Chiefs, uh, you know, both sides of the line can, can dominate the game, then I think you'll see a dominant, you know, result on the scoreboard. But we'll see. The Raiders are always, you know, pesky. They haven't gotten blown out this year, so I'm sure they'll keep it close. They're scrappy. It's a division game. You, you never know what to expect. You can expect it to be closer than it should be, I think. Right. Um, but 
you hope that the Chiefs aren't looking past this week and, and into that Buffalo game coming up. So it, it is going to be an important game for them to keep the momentum. You don't want to go into Buffalo with uh, a potential loss against the Bills putting you back to 500. Uh, so four and one feels a whole lot better than three and two. This is a game the Chiefs should win. The Raiders are sitting here at one and three with losses to the Chargers, the Titans, and and the Cardinals that the Chiefs blew out. Uh, so with, when you look at common opponents, you know everything points to the fact that the the Chiefs are the better team this season, uh, and and really should walk away with this one. But you can never expect a, a blowout unless uh, you got Jamal Charles going for five uh, touchdowns on screen passes. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I would think that that motivation will still be there for the division game and that uh, they're not going to want to uh, have a repeat of the, the Raiders doing laps around the practice facility in their bus. So uh, they'll show up. Uh, they should keep this thing going. And it's always fun to have a Raiders week, a, a division game, and uh, something for fans to look forward to. Hating the Raiders is just part of being a Chiefs fan, just like hating KU is still part of being a Mizzou fan. Uh which I'm still having trouble getting over the idea that KU is competent at football uh, <laughs> and, and Mizzou is continuously blowing games as uh, just enough to break our hearts there. But uh, for Ron Cop Jr., Matt Stagner, this is the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure Podcast. I look forward to talking to you next week after a win over the Raiders. Uh, it'll be a Monday night game, so it'll be a, a last-minute uh, a last minute podcast or a, a quick first impression of the game. But thanks for sticking with us. Rate and review all the podcasts on the network and and come back next week as we talk about beating the Raiders.